Well, let's turn in our Bibles once again, once you get settled back in place, to the book of Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. And as you find your place in Nehemiah 3, one last mention if you are interested in purchasing or getting a copy of He Touched Me. Maybe take a few copies for some friends. We're praying that the Lord will really use this kind of ministry. It's not a big book. You can read it, and it's in short segments. Each chapter covers an event when the Lord reached out and touched one of seven different situations that He came across. I believe there's something in there for all of us. I did lay out each chapter with four different components. Simply, the Scriptures, first of all, then a story that goes parallel with the event when He touched someone. It's a makeup story following some of the characters in that event. Then it's also in a study form. I just put an outline in there so you could take it and use it to share with someone else. And then lastly, the sermon or the message of that event. So those four components times seven make up this little book, He Touched Me. And we're praying that the Lord will touch many lives through that. The gospel is presented clearly in it in many of those situations and also personally as a gospel testimony at the end of the book. So I, I believe the Lord can use it as an evangelical tool too. And so I trust that the Lord will use it. If you're interested, if you're running a little short on cash, it's in the end of the week, you know. Friday's payday, isn't it? But not if you're at Yosemite. And so uh, if you'd like to get one, but you are running a little short, we understand that. Please don't leave without picking up a copy or a couple of copies that you can take and share with someone else. Uh, I'm not trying to sell books. We're trying to get the Word of God out, and I trust that you'll uh, take advantage of that time. We have a number of copies yet. Now, Nehemiah chapter 3. And I want you to notice in verse 26 and also uh, in verse 28, the two gates we're going to look at today. And, and we've, well, we'll have a few gates to get tomorrow, but we'll make it through all the gates before we finish. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 26 says, Moreover, the Nephanim who dwelt in Ophel made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate toward the east and on the projecting tower. Also, verse 28 says, Beyond the horse gate, the priest made repairs each in front of his own house. And we trust that the Lord will add his best blessing to the things we've read. Let's pray once more together. Our Father, as we bow in your presence, we thank and praise you for our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is truly the water of life, the living word poured out for us that we might drink deeply from the springs of salvation as well as find what refreshes our hearts like cold waters to a thirsty soul. So is good news from a far country. Lord, your word has been given to us from heaven in this dry and thirsty land. Help us to drink deeply today from the water gate, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we've been through the sheep gate. Have you gone through the sheep gate? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've come to the fish gate because we don't want to go to heaven alone. We want to reach out and tell someone else and touch their lives with the glorious gospel. You know, the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. We rejoice in the ones who have been saved this week. We're still praying for more souls to enter in at the sheep gate, but you must go through the fish gate to bring them to the Savior and make no delay. We've been enjoying some good times at the old gate, haven't we? The old, old truths of the Word of God that are ever new and ever fresh. And we've been down in the valley gate. You know, the Lord surrounds us when we're in the valleys, just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord encompasses us with all of His mercies. But while we're in the low places of life, the Lord ministers and teaches us lessons in the valleys that we can't learn from the mountaintops. Many times it's to realize if there's sin in our life that's unconfessed, we have to go to the refuse gate and dump out the garbage there and allow the Lord at the fountain gate to fill us with His Spirit to actually take control. 
You know, we have all of the Spirit we can get. The question at the fountain gate is, how much of us does He have? And we want to be filled with Him and controlled by Him. And now we come to the water gate that represents the Word of God. We want to drink it in. And sometimes uh, you feel like you've put your mouth on a fountain <laughs> that is such high pressure you can't, you can't take it all in. Do you feel like that this week? Now, I've, I've been enjoying drinking at the fountain from our, our brother through the Word of God, and uh, there's more in it than what we can take in. It's like stepping under Niagara Falls <laughs> and opening up, and the Word of God just overflows us, doesn't it? And uh, I haven't been to Yosemite before, and that little river that runs through here isn't too impressive. But they tell me last year you couldn't even get near it, it was so fast moving. And uh, that's the way the water gate's going to be. Compared to the little sprinkle we got last night or yesterday morning, it's just mercy drops round us are falling. But what? But for the showers, we plead. And I believe the water gate will be that kind of shower that we have from his word. Let's turn in our Bibles to Nehemiah, same book, just over a few chapters to chapter 8. Now, I'm going to take chapter 8 as being representative of the water gate because that's exactly where Nehemiah chapter 8 takes place. And we're going to look at nine things that happen in Nehemiah chapter 8. And each one of them is related to the water gate of the Word of God. And so as we're looking at them, I want you to just say, all right, now, this is something I need to do with the Word of God. Each of these nine things can find its place in your heart and in your life with what you should do with the Bible. So we understand. Here we are at the water gate. Make careful note in your Bible or on your paper or both. This is what I need to do with the Word of God whenever it's before me. And we start in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. And you'll see the most wonderful chapter here. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1. It says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe, whom we've heard about this morning already, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. The first thing that we do concerning the word of God is what they did. They requested the word of God. Ezra, bring the book. I know Brother Mike has the same joy that I do whenever we're asked to speak at a local church or at a conference. If we ask the question, is there any particular line of ministry we should consider? Oftentimes the response is this. All we want, brother, is that you preach the word of God. Hmm? They requested, Ezra, bring the book. We don't want to hear about anything else. Just tell us what the word of God says. Isn't that wonderful? One elder used to tell me, Rex, we need all the word all the time. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you read. Just tell me the word of God. As young believers, we were sitting under a Bible class and the teacher would say, now to save time, I know you all know this verse. We'll just uh, just mention this verse. And a little bit later, he said, now there's another verse over in this book. We won't turn to it to save time. I'm sure everybody's familiar with it. Well, we were just new believers. My friend was more bold than I was, older the bolder, you know. And he said, wait a minute. We don't all know this verse. Tell us where it's at. Take the time to turn to it. Time, you know, time. <laughs> That's something that started a long time ago. Hadn't slowed down since. Huh? Mike was talking about the time being on steroids. Listen, uh, a preacher's watch is, is a very special watch, you know. Uh, the last five minutes can seem like an eternity, can't they? <laughs> it gets to the last five minutes before you know it, but that last five minutes we can stretch out in closing, in closing, in closing. You ever hear that said? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, he said, Finally, brethren. He was only halfway through the book of Philippians when he said that, huh? 
That was Philippians 3.1. Finally, uh, don't fall for it. Huh? Uh, we were listening to an African preacher and he was really, he was holding forth in the word of God. And he was going on and he kept looking at his watch and going on, kept looking at his watch. Third time he looked at his watch, he shook it. <laughs> and then he put it to his ear. I thought, oh, we're in trouble now. Huh? <laughs> Alfred Gibbs, they tell me, used to put a lozenger in his mouth. And whenever the lozenger had completely melted, he knew his time was up. One day they tell me he finished all his notes and still had the lozenger. He pulled it out after he ran out of notes and it was a button he had put in there by mistake. When it comes to what do we request of men to teach us, you know, it doesn't matter what level. If it's it's filet mignon or if it's just some good ground chuck, doesn't matter what it is. Whatever level of the Word of God we have, serve it up. They requested the Word of God. What would you like? It doesn't matter. Just give me something from the Word of God. And the first time you might hear it from one direction, you know, it's the same ingredients. You, you ladies, you, you amaze me right here at the campground what you can do with leftovers. Hmm? Uh, I mean, this is, not, this is not, not something that's just rehashed, if you'll excuse the expression. Huh? It started out as, as beef. Then it ended up, up as ground beef. Now it's just hash, rehashed over and over. But we enjoy the Word of God no matter what it is. And just make sure that you stick to nothing else than the Word of God. Ezra, bring the book. And that's what he brought forth. And not only that, but notice, please, in verse 2 and 3, it says, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Isn't it nice that it's not a selective group, but everyone's here. I'm so glad that the children are here. I'm so glad that the men and the women are here. This is why we've come together. We all need the word of God for all ages. And here's our second point in verse three. Then he read from it. Don't just bring a Bible, read it. And that's the beauty of it, isn't it? You read from the Word of God, and if you just carry a Bible around with you but never read it, it becomes like a relic, doesn't it? You pick up your Bible (laughs) off of the coffee table, (laughs) you blow off the dust from it, open it up. You know, there is the saying, and it's a a progression, that how in the previous generations... The people of God had the word of God in their hearts. The next generation had the word of God in their heads. They knew the book. The next generation only had the word of God in their hands. This generation, where is it? In your on the hard drive. Huh? We have we have so much information, but so little understanding. Why? Well, because we're not reading the Word of God. We need not just to study the Scripture, we just need to read it on a regular day-by-day basis. Now, Brother Mike, we agree wholeheartedly as he's been encouraging to read the Bible through. And each time as you read the Word of God, you see things that you never noticed there before they've been there for an eternity. From eternity, we need to be reading it and rereading it as we're going to look at it again. But don't just have the Bible sitting on a table somewhere or somewhere that one day I'm going to give myself and have time to read the Word of God. Today's the day. Start today. Don't wait till January 1st to say, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. No, start today. Get a head start on it. By the time you get to January 1st, as I mentioned to some of the young people the other night, you've got a good momentum going. And you'll be ready for the book of Numbers and ready for the book of Leviticus and all the things that sometimes bog us down. But you've already got a good head start on reading the Bible. Remember, proverb a day keeps the devil away. Read the word of God. Read through it over and over and over again. And so they not only requested the word of God in verse one, they read from the word of God in verse three. D.L. Moody said, this book will keep you from sin. But sin will keep you from this book. If if you're not in the word of God, 
There's something wrong. We need the Word of God all the time. Someone else has said concerning the Bible, read it to be wise, believe it to be saved, practice it to be holy. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It contains light to direct you, food to sustain you, comfort to cheer you, and it should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read the Word of God. It'll change your life. It's a transforming book. There's nothing else like it. In verses 5 and 6, I'm practicing great restraint to make sure that we stick with the gates. I don't want to take you astray. I want to stick right to the gates and get through the water gate. So we go right to verses 5 and 6, but don't miss verse 4, the very first pulpit in the Bible. (laughs) In order to make sure everyone knew that Ezra was reading from the Bible, they built a platform so that he could go up. Now, I like this idea a whole lot better because you're the ones that are up and we're the ones that are down. But everybody can see that it's the Bible that's open. And so in verse 5, in the sight of all the people we read, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, little opposite here today, and I like it this way. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Now, it represents our third point. They reverenced the Word of God. Don't be afraid of the word reverence. It's a good, solid, biblical word. Holy and reverend is His name. The titles that men make up and take, it's an abomination, isn't it? But just because it's misused by man and religion doesn't mean it's a bad word and concept to have reverence for the, for the Lord Himself and for His words. This is the holy word of God. When we hold the Bible in our hands, we're not only holding what men have shed their blood to translate and to make available to us. That has great value, but that's nothing compared to the fact that man shall not live and cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This is God's word given to us. God breathed life and living. We reverence the word of God. Even the book itself. We don't mistreat our Bible. It's not just some book. I'm not saying don't write in your Bible, write in it and change it after you've written all through it. Get a new Bible and start all over. Someone said you ought to move every 10 years. I think you ought to get a new Bible every 10 years. Now, if you've never gotten a new Bible and you've been saved a number of years, I'll just warn you, it's like getting saved all over again. (laughs) You turn to the page and it's not marked like the last Bible. And you think, wow, what happened here? I can't find my references. If you can't find your references, it's time to learn the Word of God, not just in the familiar book that you have, but realize this book is the Holy Word of God. It's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. But I must go on because they reverence the word of God. And you'll notice when the Bible was opened up that the people stood up to show their reverence for it. And not only that, the amens, they went up. In verse 6, it was a double amen. Amen and... Ah, what was that? Did I hear something? What was that noise? I heard something fall. What was that? They said, Amen, and I just want to make sure. Uh, You know, we used to hear amens all the time. Did you know that saying amen to a preacher is like saying, sick him to a dog? It's true, isn't it? Isn't that true, Brother Mike? Amen. That's right. Don't be afraid of the word amen. It's not an applause. Applause says, I like what he said. I like the way he said it. Amen is a word of conviction. Lord, let it be so. When somebody opens up the Word of God, our reverence should not only that the Word of God is opened up and that our hearts stand up with attention to hear the Word of God, the amens go up. 
And when you hear something stated from the Word of God, even if you're not shouting out amen, I'm not talking about being shouters of amen, but in your heart it should be taken in amen and amen. And the the hands were lifted up in praise and reverence to God. And then you'll see not only did they request the Word and read the Word and reverence the Word, but verses 7 and 8. Here's what it says. As they worship with their faces to the ground, now we go into action in verse 7. It says, Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodijah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites. Notice what all these people with such different names did. They helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place, Notice in verse 8, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. What are we seeing here? They reasoned from the word of God. The word of God is the most reasonable book and God is the most reasonable person in all the universe. Come now, Isaiah says, says the Lord. And let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And when it comes to the word of God, if he's reasonable about salvation, he's reasoning from the scriptures too. We should reason from the word of God. Look at the involvement of all these men with the Levites. They went down among the people. In other words, they took the word of God right to where life happens. It wasn't something that was way out there in left field. Something so heavenly, it was no earthly good. But there was involvement, there was interaction, there was explaining the sense of it. Language barriers were obviously there for people that had lived in Babylon, born there, raised there, under the Chaldean language, and now coming to where they were hearing in their own language. Some did not even know the language, Hebrew, So they had to come and not only read it in Hebrew, but give the sense of it and help the people to understand. Let me ask you right now. We're talking biblical terminology. Is it not strange to our ears in the world in which we live? A generation ago, no. This generation, we're starting from square one. If when you tell the word of God and you quote the scripture, you don't give the sense of it, you're not you're not even hitting the people. The man who led us to the Lord said, if you shoot over people's head, the only thing you prove is that you're a bad shot. Go for the heart. They reason from the scriptures. They reason from the word of God. And then, fifthly, verses 9 and 11. I'll just mention to you that in verse 9, when Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They repented. And this is the other thing we do when it comes to the word of God. We read it and we should be gripped with conviction to the point of repentance. It changes our mind and we're changed, transformed How? Romans 12, 1 and 2. By the renewing of your minds. How are you going to get a mind that's renewed and transforming into your life? Well, we want the mind of Christ. Where do you think we're going to find it? (laughs) In the Word of God. That's what we have right there in the Bible. When we read it, we have to repent. I was thinking this way. Repentance means change your mind. Now I'm thinking that way. I'm thinking the thoughts of God because I'm reading the mind of Christ. We should be gripped with conviction, repenting over the things that we read. Now, we're not talking of repentance unto salvation, although that's genuine. When you trust the Lord, repentance is a given. You have to change your mind and no longer trust yourself, but now you trust the Savior. Same way now. I don't want to lead my life. I don't want to lead it by my thought and thinking process. I want to have the mind of Christ and think his thoughts. So they repented over the word of God. And then verse 10. What does the sorrow, godly sorrow of repentance lead us to? Well, it's going to lead us to rejoicing. Verse 10 says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. 
I got to tell you, that's a southern diet right there. Huh? Eat the fat. There's some good fat back over there. Drink the sweet. Do you even know what sweet tea is over here? Huh? Someone said you can get it at Popeye's. Is that true? They have sweet tea. I mean, people from people from up in Canada come down to visit us in North Carolina. And when they say, you know, I think I'll have tea. And we bring them out a big mega cup of full of ice with the sweetest, weakest tea you can imagine. (laughs) And they say, what? What is this? I asked for tea. And the waitress will say, yeah, sweet tea. That's what you got. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. I know your doctor said don't eat. I I talked to a man. He said, you know, when I was young like you. That was a few years back. I didn't have the money to eat what I wanted to eat. And now that I'm older and I got plenty of money to buy what I want to eat. The doctor said, don't eat it. (laughs) Isn't a great liberty in the word of God? Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. And we've been enjoying some of that good food here, haven't we? And then notice what else. And here's here's the key word we're going with. Notice as we continue on, send portions for those for whom nothing is prepared. You know, they used to call that a doggy bag. Do you want a doggy bag? I said, yes, I sure do. They said, do you have a dog? (laughs) No, (laughs) but I want to take what I left over and take it with me. Now we call it. uh, Do you want to take away? (laughs) Do you want a box or a bag? Take it with you, not just to eat it yourself. Send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. What are you going to do with all that you've got this week? There are a lot of people that would be here if they could be here. There are also some people that should be here because they could be here. But regardless of the situation, whether they would be and could be or should be, the best thing you can do when you eat the fat and drink the sweet is to keep something back and send portions to those for whom nothing has been prepared and also... In verse 12, send portions to others and, and here we go, verse 10 ends up with this great verse, and here's our point. They rejoiced because of the word of God. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And in verse 12, notice the middle phrase, rejoice greatly. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Is it Friday morning already? Are you tired? Sounds like a Jared Hall commercial. Are you tired? Are you run down? (laughs) I know you're not, and I know the reason why. You got a secret. It's not getting eight hours of sleep or taking some kind of medication to get you up or having coffee. I'm so glad the Lord created it for backslidden people. It's, it's not the caffeine or I've never had a power drink. I don't want one, but I got something better than that. It's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. Now, that's what it says in verse 10. But by the time you get down to verse 12, it's not joy. What is it? Rejoice greatly. Now, that's taking joy, doubling it over again and doing the same thing again. From joy, it goes to rejoice. Huh? I, I can't figure out hymn books. They said, let's sing the refrain. I said, I haven't sung the refrain yet. (laughs) So you got joy and rejoice. Frain and refrain. We should be rejoicing over the word of God. Here's what Jeremiah said in the saddest book in the Bible. You find Jeremiah right beside the box of Kleenex, that weeping prophet who had a heartbreaking message for a heartbroken people. And here's what he said. Thy words were found and I did eat them. And they became the joy and rejoicing of my heart. How could you not rejoice in all that God has given us? Yes, sometimes it grips us with conviction and we repent, but we don't stay there. If you repent, change your mind, turn around and keep repenting, turning around and keep repenting and turning around and keep repenting and turn around. You can be dizzy. But if you move on to what God has given us and put it into practice, he's going to fill your heart with joy and rejoicing. Philippians four, verse four, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, that's wonderful. 
That sounded a little bit like a funeral. <laughs> but you understand, it's better felt than felt. We've got the joy of the Lord to be our strength, and we're rejoicing greatly. Whenever you read the Word of God, you read it to your rejoicing in it. And then notice something else. In verse 13, now on the second day. You mean all that the first day? <laughs> That's wonderful, isn't it? From morning till midday. Sounds a little bit like the California conference at Yosemite. From morning till midday. Uh, what time did you start in the Word of God today? I bet some of you were up early in the morning to just read some of the Bible reading homework that Mike's been giving us. Huh? And some others were meeting around at the campground early in the morning, from morning till midday. Then you can go in the river. Huh? Notice what they did. On the second day, verse 13, it says, The heads of the fathers' houses and of all the people with the priest and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe, in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law. And here's what I want to take for our, our seventh point. They researched the Word of God. The first day wasn't enough. They said, you know, we enjoyed that so much. Let's go ahead and make our reservations for Yosemite next year. They came back to Ezra, the Levites, the scribes, uh, Ezra the scribe and the others to search the Word of God and to research the Word of God. They found something written in the Bible that they should do. Now, if you just read the Word of God, that has a, a cleansing effect. Very important just to read it. But you also need to study and you need to re-read it. Huh? We're talking about joy and rejoicing, frame and refrain. But now we're going to Read and reread, search the scriptures and research the scriptures. Years ago, someone well said, the Bible doesn't need to be retranslated, but just reread. Read it and read it again. And re somebody asked old Brother Bramhall, they said, Brother Bramhall, what, what should you do when you don't feel like reading the Bible? He said, well, read it when you feel like it. Read it when you don't feel like it. And then he said, and read it till you do feel like it. You'll be surprised reading the word of God, even if you don't feel like it. Read it again when you do feel like it. Read it until you do feel like it, because it needs to be read, reread, searched, researched. And here's what they did. They found something written in the Bible that they should do. And in verse 14, here's what it says. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And they did it. They went out and they started getting branches of the trees and they started making lean-tos. And now in the 21st century, we call it housekeeping. <laughs> Doesn't that look like the Feast of Booths? Even in this day at Jerusalem, during the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, the people are... Well, they're staying in five-star hotels, but it didn't used to be that way. On the roofs and in the courtyard and all over Jerusalem, they went camping for eight days. And here's the, here's the point. Number eight, they responded to the Word of God. When you see something in the Bible that you should do, don't just say, well, that would be nice. Do it. That we might not just be hearers of the word, James 1.22, but that we might be doers of the word. If you're just a hearer, you're deluding yourself. You're looking into a mirror and walking away, forgetting what you look like. Get on the right side of the mirror and let it have its transforming effect. That we're changed by the word of God. Which side of the mirror are you on anyway? You need to get on the right side and allow the Word of God to be the perfect mirror that gives us the true image of ourselves and starts changing us. And they responded to the Word of God. They went out and did something that looked silly. They went out and made lean-tos and sat under there for eight days. I tell you, we, Nancy and I are so impressed with this conference. Camping, housekeeping, cabins, whatever it might be. Just being right here together. This is such a novel idea. No, it's not. God started it way back in the wilderness when he went camping with his people. He said, I'm going to put my tent right in the middle. You put all your tents all around me and we're going to camp for 40 years. Huh? 
I mean, really, it's amazing, isn't it? That's exactly what the wilderness experience was. He said, I want us to get close. I mean, really close. And God came right down into the midst. There's only one place you can get closer than that. Now, listen. He came and tabernacled among us. He can't get any closer. He became one of us, sin apart, that we might be with him forever. Do you know that the book, the Bible itself closes out with this? That God shall tabernacle among them. He becomes the temple and we're dwelling in him forever. You can't get closer than that. I believe on earth this is the closest you can get right here camping together with the Lord in our midst. They responded to the word of God and they did it. And then the last verse, that doesn't mean it's the end of the message. The last verse in verse 18, after they camped out in those booths, the ninth point is this. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last, he read from the book of the law of God. The whole week of the Feast of Booths, they read the word of God. Here's the ninth point. They not only requested, read, reverenced, reasoned, repented, rejoiced, researched, and responded to the word of God, but they regulated their lives by the word of God. From the first day to the last and day by day. You're off to a good start, aren't you? Every day we've had the word. Tomorrow, one more day. The Lord's day, you'll be with the Lord's people. One more day in the word. Monday morning is coming. Go to bed early on Sunday night. Take a Sunday afternoon nap. Whatever it takes to make sure you're up early on Monday morning. Because if you don't have the word of God coming into your life, you won't be ready for what's ahead. Chapter 8 and the water gate have prepared us perfectly. The seventh gate is the perfect preparation we need for going through the next gate. And that next gate, as you have in your third chapter of Nehemiah's verse 28, the horse gate. There's a war out there. There's an adversary waiting. He's walking about like a roaring lion. Should we say bear? <laughs> Seeking whom he may devour. And he's watching for you. We've been safe here from the devil's onslaught. There's a war going on. And you're part of the war. You're caught right in the midst of the battle of the ages, the war of the ages. Now, I read the back of the book and we win. But there are battles that are taking place and some of us are going to be hurt. Some have already fallen in battle. Don't make the mistake of shooting the wounded. Someone said the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. If I falter, help me up. If I fall, don't give up on me and leave me behind. We're in this together. Ephesians chapter 6, please. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. In this warfare, we need spiritual weapons. And when you go through the horse gate, the horse, the psalmist said, is, a, is an animal and a vessel of war. Now, tr some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And in his name we do exploits. Do I believe we're in the days of declension? You better believe it. But do I want to roll over and play dead till the Lord comes? Never. If we run out of every resource we have, be like Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord and hang on. <laughs> with every ounce of strength that God provides, and he's promised he will provide and be faithful. Even in these dark, gloomy days, that little light does shine bright. Take up the weapons and the armor of our warfare that we might stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, And having done all to stand, stand therefore. 
the only way you can win this battle is to stand. Don't run. Just stand. Hold your ground. And stand in His strength and His strength alone. How long has it been since we sang the old hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus? That I think it's the second or third verse. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in His strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger be never wanting there. Here's the armor of God. He says, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. That's the belt of the armor as you have it in Ephesians chapter 6. And what verse is it? It's verse 14. Your waist girded. I, I thank God for my belt. <laughs> it has a number of holes in it, you know. Sometimes I put it in hole number one. And sometimes number three. We've known the benefit of an abundance. We've also suffered need, haven't we? Sometimes you tighten that belt. It's the very center of my body and is what holds everything in. Let the hearer understand. What is the very center that holds us together? It's the truth of God. Let your loins be girt about with truth. And not only your loins be girt about with truth, I believe the next piece is indeed the breastplate of righteousness. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. That's our positional righteousness. The breastplate covers the heart. That's our practical righteousness. And then he says, make sure your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I forgot my hiking shoes. Can you imagine I'm wearing this around Yosemite National Park? We thought we had everything packed. You always forget one thing. I've got hiking shoes that have hiked everywhere. <laughs> They're safe in my closet at home. I can't believe it. And so I'm wearing street shoes. But how your feet are shod means everything with the preparation of the gospel. How lovely on the mountains, maybe in the valley too, are the feet of him who brings good news. Isaiah and Nahum both said that. The feet of him, speaking of Christ. And here he came on the mountains. But when Paul writes it in Romans chapter 10, he changes that personal pronoun from him to them. That's what Paul's saying. Have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. How you walk the Christian life by faith. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. So that people that drive the shuttle and work over at Curry Village can say. How lovely on the mountains and in the valley are the feet of them that bring good news. Are you taking the good news out? I know you are. And then not only the belt of truth. And the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with, a with the preparation of the gospel. But the shield, take up the shield of faith, which is able to extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked one. That shield in Roman days was about four feet tall. So somebody like me could hide behind it. The shield of faith protects the breastplate of righteousness. Faith is counted unto us for what? For righteousness. When Satan tries to attack He's going for your practical righteousness, trying to penetrate and put holes in your testimony. You keep that shield of faith up. Fear knocked. Faith answered. <laughs> no one was there. Take it by faith, trusting God for it. And then the helmet of salvation. Have you noticed all these five pieces of weapon and armor are all defensive? The helmet of salvation I love it, don't you? I know that I know that I'm saved. Some people get mad at Christians, don't they? You Christians, you think you know it all. We don't think we know it all. <laughs> we know we know it all. <laughs> I mean, we don't know everything, but we know him who knows everything. I know I'm saved. It doesn't matter what I forget. Hmm? One man asked a little child, What's a memory? She says, oh, that's what you folks use to forget things with. Huh? You forget something, you say, oh, my memory. Oh, my memory. But one thing you never want to forget, I know that I'm saved. I don't want to just think so, hope so, guess so, maybe so. I know, I know that I'm saved. The helmet of salvation 
I know I'm saved by God's grace. If it were anything I did, I couldn't know it. But if it's because of everything He did, it is finished, means I can know I have eternal life. That when I die, I can doubt a lot of things, but one thing I'll never doubt is to know that I'll be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Oh, don't be so sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I know I'm saved by what God has written in His Word. Now, those are five defensive pieces of armor. There are two offensive pieces of armor, and it follows it in the last couple of verses I want to share. And you'll find them, notice please, in verse 17, after the helmet of salvation, he says, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's what we've been talking about in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, isn't it? At the water gate. Take up the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. If you get a chance, let me just tell you the point so you know what to look for. Go to, not now, but go to Judges 3 and start in 16. It's one of the three 16s of the Bible. You'll find the first two-edged sword in the Bible. Let me give you the seven points. First of all, it was Ehud had, who had it. He was a left-handed man. But here are seven things about that first sharp little two-edged sword. First of all, it was sharp with two edges. The Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces and distinguishes between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. Not only is it sharp and two edges, he hid it. Where do you keep your Bible? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He hid it in his clothing. And then, this first two-edged sword was only a cubit in length. That's from your finger to your elbow, about 18 inches. Mine's only 16, but, I mean, short. Whenever you give the Word of God, make sure it's short and to the point. I know I've lost you now. This is a sword, by the way, short and to the point. Ehud told Eglon, I've got a message from God for you. When you read the Bible, make sure you know this sword is a message from God. And what did he do? He thrust it into his big old belly. And it was taken in. You know, unless the word of God is taken in, it's not going to have any effect. And then, sixthly, when he put that into his belly, it says that the belly, the fat, closed up around it. Even the hilt went in. You've got to take in all the word of God. And you know the last thing that happened, number seven, for the perfect picture of the word of God? I like the old King James. The dirt came out. <laughs> It'll clean up your life. Huh? You want to get clean? Take the Word of God in. It'll clean up your life. How can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed thereto thy word. The Lord Jesus said, If you don't have a sword, sell a coat, buy a sword. The disciples said, Lord, look, here are two swords. Luke 22. And the Lord said, That's enough. Those two swords represent the sword of the flesh and the sword of the Spirit. When they came to arrest the Lord Jesus that night, Simon Peter said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And he didn't even wait for the answer. You know, when you put a sword into the hand of a fisherman, it's dangerous. And he swung it right there at Malchus, and Malchus went down like that and cut his ear off. Right ear off. You know, a lot of times we use the sword of the flesh, don't we? And what do we do? We just, we win the argument and lose the soul. We cut their ears off and we say, Lord, do what you did to Malchus. Put their ear back on so I get another chance. And then the Lord said, put away your sword, Peter. If you take up the sword, you'll die by the sword. On the day of Pentecost, Brother Mike reminded us, it looked so bad. The greatest proponent, the spokesman for the group, had just denied the Lord three times, went out and wept bitterly. Who would you think would stand up on the day of Pentecost but Simon Peter? You know, he already rocked the boat once when he stood up. He started to sink. He had more faith than the others. The Lord said, you have little faith. The others didn't even have enough faith to get out of the boat. Peter, don't rock the boat. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up again. I'm sure if I'd have been there, I would have said, Peter, you've done enough. <laughs> Let's get somebody that hasn't messed up. The only problem is you can't find somebody that hasn't messed up. But he'd already tried out one sword. On the day of Pentecost, he quotes from the prophet Joel. And then he quotes from 
the book of Psalms, chapter 16. Then he quotes from Psalm 110, three blows with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And in Acts chapter 2, I think it's verse 36 or 37, the Bible says, and they were cut, literally pierced to the heart. The Word of God, it is an offensive weapon. If you don't believe that, just open your Bible in public. <laughs> it's offensive. One last offensive weapon, prayer. And I'm praying right now that I don't get in trouble. But the last offensive weapon is prayer. Did you know a prayer was offensive too? If you don't believe it, pray in public. No, don't pray in public. That's what the Pharisees did. But I'll tell you what, prayer doesn't seem like a good weapon, but it can take down the strongholds. Think of the posture of prayer. It's execution posture. Your eyes are closed. Your head is bowed. Your hands are folded as if tied. And you're on your knees. And what are you doing? You're waiting for the axe to fall. It seems like the most defenseless posture you can take. Not so, says William Cowper. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. And Paul says, with all prayer and petition, we make our request before God that God will break through and win the battle. And how will he do it? You enter in at the water gate and you fill up with the word of God. And then you go through the horse gate ready with the defensive weapons and armor of God and the two offensive weapons with the sword of the Spirit and all prayer and petition. And God wins the day and accomplishes great victory. We've got to close in prayer. But if you think you can avoid the water gate or the horse gate, you're sadly mistaken. Everyone is in this battle. The rage... It shall endure, but God's truth endureth, and it will indeed win the day. Again, when you get to the end of the Bible, we're the winners, more than conquerors, through him who loved us. Glory to his name, shall we pray. Our Father, we bow our hearts before your presence, and we thank and praise you for our wonderful Savior, who is the conqueror that has gone forth to conquer and has returned victorious from the battle. And we pray, O Lord, that you will strengthen us through your word, that we might be ready with your word that is able to equip us unto every good work. And we give you our thanks for it, and pray that you will keep us safe and use us to do exploits for you by your grace and by your power. For we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.